It's good to be back with everybody today. Um, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians. We're back to our 1 Corinthians series. Uh, we're in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 in particular. Um, let's pray before we begin. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you that you've provided this place for us to meet in. Uh, thank you, God, that, that you've provided the means for those who can't be with us to also worship with us through, through the streaming. You, you've provided for us at every step and been good to our community. And, and we just we want to offer you praise. And right now, ask that you would be with us as we open your word together, that the convicting things here would not be crushing but encouraging. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I feel like... Um, during the pandemic, and I, I'm, I'm, today is my full vax day, so I can speak much more, I know, right? I can speak much more cavalierly about it now. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we all learned a lot more about infectious diseases than we knew before. In particular, um, you know, the idea that you could be infected with something like COVID and be asymptomatic, right? It's in there. It's really in there. But there's no identifying external thing happening to tell you that it is in there. Now, the reason I bring that up is because as I was studying the text and what was going on in the church at Corinth and, and how, what Paul is describing here, it seems that these folks were, they had the Holy Spirit they had a case of Christianity, but it was totally asymptomatic. A lot of the time we can mistake that Paul is writing to people who are not Christians. But when we look, look with me at the text at verse 1 here. It says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now I want to point something out. He calls them brothers. Okay, he's saying you are part of the family of Christ. He just got done telling them in the previous verse that they have the Holy Spirit, that they have the mind of Christ, and he also says you are infants, but infants in Christ. So these folks really do have the faith. The Holy Spirit really is among them, but they are totally asymptomatic. There is no place in their church that, or, or in their lives where the Holy Spirit and the gospel are being lived out. There's no symptoms to it. And you know, I, I think it doesn't just go for the ancient church at Corinth. I think in the church in the U.S. today, asymptomatic Christianity is a major issue. And all you people with tender consciences are like, am I asymptomatic? I'm going to hell for sure. No, you're not. Jesus has saved you. Done. Okay? Relax. Or don't. But relax, I'm kidding around. <laughs> you know, you, you could think of someone who just loves the doctrines of grace and, 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 and is, is so sure that their sins are forgiven, but then extends no grace to anyone out. There's that internal spiritual grasping of grace, but not a living out of grace. Or, you know, there's, there, there are folks who make a big deal about the Holy Spirit, as we should. Speaking in tongues, raising your hands during worship, you know, a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but no holiness in their character to speak of. You know, people who are 
who will talk about the kingdom of God and, oh, how much I love the kingdom of God. But you look at their lives, you listen to their political positions, and it's very clear that they're highly committed to the present world order, not the coming kingdom world order. We could think of churches with multi-million dollar budgets and not a dime goes to the poor. You could think of the person who, yeah, I'm a Christian, and, but when you look at their life goals and what they're all about, it looks basically identical to the values of the, the Wolf of Wall Street guy. Okay? There's, no, there's no symptoms. They are Christians. But there is a huge problem with asymptomatic Christians. But there are people who say that you can receive Christ as Savior... Right? Your sins are forgiven, but not obey him as Lord. Anyone ever heard of this? Yes, anyone? No? Yeah, okay. So, no. It's, when we look at what Paul says, it, it's, it's not that they're not Christians, and it's not that it's okay to be asymptomatic. He's calling them that because you have the Holy Spirit, you need to live it out. Live like you have the Holy Spirit. Now, to clarify a couple of terms in, in these verses that we can trip over if we don't know what he means, when we look at verse 1, this word spiritual, okay, but I, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. He does not, when, when the New Testament says spiritual, it doesn't mean someone who does yoga, okay? It is, it, the, the word spiritual in the New Testament only ever means of the Holy Spirit. It means having the Holy Spirit or something done by the Holy Spirit, okay? So when he's saying, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, saying, I can't address you as people who have the Holy Spirit, even though they do. And then when he says that they are of the flesh, right? This is a word that gets misunderstood too. He says, but I had to address you as people of the flesh. Paul is not being anti-physical. He's not saying that your body is sinful in any way. When Paul uses this word for flesh, he, it just means not the spirit. Okay? It's, 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 not your, it's not your skin flesh. It's the mindset. It's a mindset that is completely divorced from the Holy Spirit. It's a self-reliance, a self-determination, a self-centeredness. And then, lastly, the, when he calls them infants in Christ, some people make the mistake that there's like two classes of Christians. There's the less mature that you teach one thing and the more mature that you teach another. It's not what he's saying, okay? He, what he's saying, it, it's kind of like, um, I remember one time uh, back when Phil Jackson was coaching the Lakers, Kobe and Shaq were feuding in the press, being super childish, and a reporter asked Phil Jackson, you know, well, what do you think about how your two stars are behaving? He says, well, these, these guys need to crawl out of the sandbox, Okay? He's not saying they're babies. He's saying they are grown men and professional athletes, but they're acting like babies. So when Paul is calling them infants in Christ, he's not establishing a second class of Christianity. He's saying you are in Christ. You should be mature, but you're acting as though you're not, okay? So all that out of the way, we have the Holy Spirit. We need to live out out. We need to live like we have the Holy Spirit. And what does Paul tell us that looks like? Well, three things. And if you're taking notes, this is your outline. It's to walk in the Spirit, live in spiritual community, and cooperate with the Spirit. 
to walk in the Spirit, live in spiritual community, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So first of all, walk in the Spirit. Where do we see this in the text? In verse 3, he says, For you are still of the flesh, for while, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, the word that's getting translated in verse 3 as behave, if you have the NIV, I believe it says acting. Well, if you're an old school King James version, it says walking. And that's actually more accurate to the Greek word there. It is the word for walking. You're walking in a merely human way. The reason I like that is because walking, and I think Paul intends this, walking is a, is a key Old Testament term. When you look at the law, when you look at the wisdom of the Old Testament, it's all about living out your spirituality by your walk. It's what you do. It's not just an internal spiritual reality of walking with God. Like in the Old Testament, a big deal is made of God. You know what godliness looks like? You know what life with God looks like? It means using accurate weights at your business. It means telling the truth when it's not convenient. It means, uh, it means weighing the effect of your words so as not to do unnecessary harm. To, to be a person whose ethics are life-giving. So that word walk is talking about the ethics of the Corinthians, right? He's saying you, your, your ethical life is as if the Holy Spirit isn't there at all. And so the call is to, because you have the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And that has to do with our ethics, now, where does the, where, what does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit? First of all, it means to walk away from sin. The, the sins that he points out here are jealousy, strife, and division. But when we look at the, the letter of 1 Corinthians as a whole, there's a whole host of things that they're involved in. It is a, it is a completely immoral church. They oppress the poor. They're sexually all over the place. Right? And so he's calling them, walk in the Spirit, walk away from sin, and toward holiness. Now, he, he doesn't tell us uh, specifically what walking in holiness means right here, but there's a, another passage, if you'll forgive me for going to a different text, where he really lays it out. In Galatians chapter 5, just listen, he says, to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he goes on to... to to say what this looks like to walk in the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So he is, this is the exact opposite of the description of the church at Corinth. They're divided. They're jealous. They're selfish. They're self-centered. They're indifferent to each other's needs. You see? So walking in the Spirit looks like walking away from sin and toward holiness. When, when the Holy Spirit is within us, when we have the Spirit, it empowers us to walk a different way. There's a famous story in the Bible of when Jesus was going to Jericho. There was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Some of you may know this story. Now, a tax collector in the ancient world, especially in Jewish society, was 
not scum of the earth. It was the scum on the bottom of scum of the earth's shoes. Okay, You couldn't be any worse than a tax collector. You, you see, taxes were not collected to like, you know, have social programs. They were collected to oppress. Roman citizens did not pay taxes, only conquered peoples, and the Jews were a conquered people. And so what a tax collector was, was a member of a private corporation. They called them the publicani. And they would bid. They would say, Rome, we'll get you so much money out of Judea. We'll squeeze them till they're dry, you know. And Rome would say, go ahead. And, you know, if you can extort a little more on top of that, you can keep that. So a tax collector was a Jew who oppressed other Jews by collecting taxes, and not just that. And it wasn't like, hey, pay a percentage of your income. It was like, pay up how much I tell you to pay up, or else I'm going to have you beaten in front of the village, or else I'm going to throw you in jail, or I'm going to take your children and I'm going to sell them into slavery. That's what tax collectors did. Do you hate them yet? I hate them. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was rich. His ethical life was clearly not led by the Spirit. And he was short, we're told. But when Jesus is coming through town, he's so short he can't see him. So he climbs up a tree, and Jesus points to him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house for, for, for a meal. And so Zacchaeus receives him and becomes a follower of Jesus. And right then he says, Jesus, I am going to restore the money I've taken by fraud, and going forward, I'm going to share half of my wealth with the poor, right? The, he meets Jesus. He comes to belief. The gospel takes root in this guy's heart. The spirit is there, and what happens? A new ethical life sprouts. He walks in the spirit. We can make two big mistakes. One mistake is to say, I because this is true, because I need to walk in the Spirit, like some of you heard me say that you need to earn salvation. That's not what I said, right? The idea that you need to live holy enough to be saved is to fly in the face of the gospel. We are saved by what Jesus did, period, end of story. But there's an opposite mistake. It's to say, I'm already saved, so I don't need to bother with holiness. I, my ethics don't matter. Both are wrong. Instead, because I'm saved, I can walk the path of holiness. It, it, give, it empowers us to. I mean, who among us does not want to live a life that is characterized by peace, joy, gentleness, self-control, and the rest of it, right? This is not a bummer, now I have to do this. This is being invited to walk the path of life. Now, how do we do that? What does it look like? in real terms. Well, it's to repent and believe, first of all. When you are spending time with God, it is a fully appropriate thing to say, God, where in my life are there things that are displeasing to you? Are there things that, that are going against where the Spirit would direct me? Am I vain? I'm not looking at anybody in particular. <laughs> Am I selfish? Am I greedy? Am I uh, cut off from others? Would you work in me? God will work in you. He will change your heart, but there's also another part. It's to take practical steps. 
okay? Like, so for instance, if, you, if, if God reveals to you that you've got an issue with greed, you're not giving your money, you're not being generous, right? It's not just, oh, Lord, change my heart, and maybe my money will go somewhere else. No, you actually have to take the practical step of, you know, signing up for giving to somewhere. Or if you are in conflict with someone, you've sinned against them or they've sinned against you, you don't just sit there and say, God, make a miracle happen that everything's okay. You, you put one foot in front of the other. You pick up the phone. You say, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. You see, there's a practical step. If you've got an issue with internet content and lust, you don't just sit there saying, God magically changed my heart so that I never want this again. You get filters. You get accountability software, like, like today do it. Like, I know you look at your phones while I'm preaching anyway. Just download it. Go ahead. I won't be mad. There are practical steps that go with the walk, you see, to walk in the Spirit. But it's not just our own individual walks. It's also how we live in community that displays the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so because we have the Holy Spirit, we need to live in a spiritual community. And what does that look like? What does a, a community of the Holy Spirit look like? Well, first of all, looks humble. When we look at verses 3 and 4, he says, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you. Now, these, these two words, jealousy indicates competition. We know that there's these factions, right? The I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, and the rest. And they are competing inside of the church of, at Corinth for prestige and power. And it says there's jealousy and strife. So in this competition for prestige and power, they are having heated arguments, disagreements, bad blood, and the rest of it. You know what the net that goes over the entire sin of the Corinthian church is? It's pride. Can you do that? Can we get, like, if we divided into factions, which would be super funny, um, and, and competed with each other? Like, you need pride as the fuel for that, don't you? Like, that doesn't happen without pride. So a spiritual community is first and foremost humble. That is the character of the Holy Spirit. And second, it's one that feels like Jesus. When we look at the, the church at Corinth, they were a, what, what the city of Corinth was like, it was wealthy. And to be specific, it had a thin crust of wealthy at the top and a lot of poor people under it. Okay? It was an elitist city. They thought a lot of themselves. It was a prideful city. It was, it was a city that was obsessed with gaining status. It was a very sexually loose city. And it was a city that was utterly, and as was the culture, totally indifferent to the poor. And what was the church at Corinth like? Exactly like the city. You could say all of those things about the church of Corinth at well, as well. There was no distinction between the culture and Christ's community. That shouldn't be, should it? That doesn't feel like Jesus. What was Jesus like? Well, he was distinct from his culture. He, did, he, he, was, he was totally sinless and holy, yet the, the, the worst sinners of that society flocked to him, were welcomed by him, spent time, he spent time with them. Right, so a, 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 a spiritual community, a Holy Spirit community, 
is first and foremost a humble community, and it's a community that feels like Jesus. And when this happens, it's a beautiful thing. There, there was um, one time in uh, um, February 1943, there was a little, little French village, a Protestant village called Le Chambon. And on this evening, the Nazi-controlled French police came to this village. Now, the way it worked is you had a village and you had the village church, and so there was like one pastor for the whole village. They had come to arrest the pastor on charges of harboring illegal refugees, that is, Jews, and also leading the village in harboring illegal refugees, which they did. And so the police come to, the, the pastor's name was Andre Trokme, and just as the Trokme family was about to sit down to dinner, and his wife, she says later, because she was just hungry, she wasn't trying to be nice, she invited the police officers who were arresting her husband to sit down to dinner. And so they did. And word got out among the community that the pastor was being arrested. And one by one, the members of this community would, were walking into the dining room to, to say farewell to their pastor and bringing with them a, you know, this was wartime, so nobody had anything. And they had these little treasures that they had been saving, and they were bringing them to him. They were bringing things like candles and chocolate cookies. And somebody brought a sausage, warm socks. The, the, the greatest luxury of all was somebody put on top a roll of toilet paper, right? But, but the, the pile just kept getting bigger and bigger. And the, the officers, these, you know, Nazi stooges, said they've, they've never seen anything like this. They were so amazed. They, they didn't even search the house for refugees. They were weeping into their food, seeing the love in this community, this community that felt like Jesus, Community is the true acid test of character. You want to know if you're growing in Christ? We're all patient when we're alone, folks. It's a lot harder to be patient in community. We're all easy to get along with when there's no one around. But in community, we find out where we actually need to grow. So, so what, what do we want to see formed in our community? We want to see a humble community. We don't want to be dividing ourselves by what we're against. We're not about competition. We, we, we are not about jealousy. You know, a lot of the time you can get these dynamics. Oh, look at that jerk getting to, you know, do something in the church, and everyone's recognizing their giftedness, and that just drives me nuts because I should be the one getting recognized, right? That is not what a Holy Spirit community looks like. And also, we want to be a community that feels like Jesus, you know, to, to be both distinct and welcoming. There, there's, you know, one strategy for being welcoming is to say, we're not too worried about anything God says then. Just whatever. We're welcoming in that way. We just kind of take, you know, moral commands and we're not too worried about them. And, and you know, everyone feels welcome that way. That's, that's not the way. That's not how Jesus did it. And then the other way is to say, well, we're, we're serious about holiness, and someone who's struggling with this and that and, and has sin in their life feels like they're not supposed to be here. We don't want either. We want to be a community that takes holiness seriously, and those who are struggling and broken feel welcome. That's what it is to be a Holy Spirit community.
Does that sound like a tall order? Well, guess what? It is. It's impossible if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, but we do. And that is the kind of community that we're called to live in. But not only that, Paul moves on to how we treat leadership. This is really key. We don't think of this as a trait of the Holy Spirit being among a people. But how we approach leadership is super key. I just read a book um, by a researcher, professor, counselor guy named Chuck DeGrote. It's called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And um, the book is all about, you know, he's, he's, he's got the receipts and he's seen the gory and how a lot of the time the character, character traits of a narcissist are the very things that people are looking for in their church leaders. And he tells a story of when he was doing a church planting assessment, like we had to go through these things too, where they, they sit down with you, they observe you, they interview you, and try and figure out if you'd, you'd be a good fit to plant or, or lead a church. And there was this one guy who, you know, was the, the hope. He was the next such and such because he was, he was tall, he was good looking, he was smart, he was this great charismatic preacher. And, uh, and, you know, everybody in the church planting assessment was like, oh, this guy's going to be the one. And then Chuck DeGroat sits down with him with a psyche vow, right? And, well, he sits down with his wife, and his wife is like, don't, no, don't do it, don't do this. Because it turns out that he was severely emotionally abusive to his wife and had a lot of the classic traits of narcissism. And when Chuck DeGroat, confronted him on this this guy explodes and and as he as he walks out the door he says you know what it's her word against mine and she doesn't have any bruises and and chuck DeGroat told the the assessment do not pass this guy and guess what they did they said yeah we're not too worried about that because you know what he's got the goods he's the type of leader we're looking for and of course he went on to plant a huge disaster We have such a obsession with these the great leader that 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 a lot of the time we're going to look for someone who's just you know like like George Patton or so like that's who we think needs to lead Christ's church. The idea that we that that we need great leaders, quote unquote, to accomplish God's mission, great by worldly definitions is to say that there is no Holy Spirit that we trust in. If we, like, look at what Paul says about what it is to lead. And remember, the Corinthians are deeply divided over leadership. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, right? He says in verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Look at this next word. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each so what's a leader in the Holy Spirit community? It's a servant. That's different, isn't it? A leader isn't a bigwig, a hot shot, the, the, the chief. It's none of that. It's what? It's a janitor. That would be a good translation value in modern English. A leader. What is Paul? What is Apollos? Janitors who do work as God gives them. Okay? And also, we see uh, 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 that, that we need to be dependent on God. Planted 
Apollos watered. Paul planted the church at Corinth, right? And, 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 and Apollos, is, he, he grew the church after that. He says, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That is really crucial. And that is really different, isn't it? There's a guy um, named Jack Miller who used to say, if the Holy Spirit abandoned your ministry, how long would it take you to notice? So many times we revert to our own power. And, and you know, there are, there are good decisions that we need to, need to be able to make. But ultimately, what we're, what we're trying to do is cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's what it truly is to lead, is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. What are we as a church? Like, what do we want to see happen? Well, we want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Okay, so, so what do we do? We preach the gospel, we, we uh, you know, are intentional about relationships, like we, we establish a community where, where people can discover Jesus. But can any of us transform someone's soul from death to life to where they get the gospel? No, only the Holy Spirit can do that, you see? We want to see people whose lives are shattered get put back together by Jesus. So we, we have a community in which that, that welcomes people who have massive messes in their life, right? Who are broken. Can you put them back together? Can I? No. Only the Holy Spirit can move that person. What are we? We're, we're a structure built for the Holy Spirit to work inside of. That's what we are. Right? There, there's no amount of human effort. Like, you can, by pure human effort, start a business kind of approach to church, but you can't do the work of the Holy Spirit through human effort. We need to cooperate with the Spirit. Let it never be said of us that we've got a case of asymptomatic Christianity. Let it never be said of you and me that there isn't a single sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Instead, let's walk in the Spirit, live in spiritual community, and cooperate with the Spirit. Please pray with me. We thank you, God, that you are with us, that you are working among us. I pray that we would never lapse into a blasé spirituality where what's going on, on inside is completely disconnected from how we live our lives, how we do community, and how we lead. Be among us, God. And keep us walking with Jesus. Amen.